This is Brandy Rivers, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, episode 48 for Friday, January 27th, 2012. I do want to welcome you to today's podcast. It's a very exciting one because this is the very first time that we are speaking to a manager, a literary manager and producer, Brandy Rivers from Magnet Management is on the podcast today. And uh, and so it's going to be really, really exciting as she shares with us a bit of how she got started as a manager and what kind of services that she offers and how they differ. differ from an agent. And it's uh, going to be a really informative interview, and I, I really hope it helps you. Before we get to the interview, just a couple of quick news hits, and one of them is a reminder of the homework that's on the on the table. Hopefully, you've been able to buy Troy DeVold's book, Reality TV, An Insider's Guide to TV's Hottest Market, because the questions are due very, very soon. You can send questions for Troy. And even if you, if you hadn't have a chance to read the book, if you have any questions about um, how to pitch write and or sell a reality TV series, which is a very hot market with a lot of um, jobs therein. Um, make sure to send those questions into mail at tvwriterpodcast.com. And if you do, when your question is chosen, you might just win a copy of Pamela Douglas's third edition of Writing the TV Drama Series. Excellent, excellent book. And the third edition is a great update. Speaking about books, make sure you do go to the tvwriterpodcast.com site. There's a little store link on the site, and the store isn't just a place to support the podcast, which I do appreciate if you do, but it's a place for a little mini university for yourself. Uh, if you didn't get a chance to go to film school, or even if you did, I mean, I, I went to film school, I have a screenwriting degree, and yet I still continue to buy books every month and read books on um, on TV writing, on screenwriting, on every kind of writing, um, on making good characters, on creativity, on the industry, tips on the industry, because I really, really feel that it's important if we want to do this, that we educate ourselves in every way possible. And out of the hundreds of books that there are out there, I've selected uh, a number of ones for the site that I feel are great books, most of which I've read myself. And so I'd urge you to make sure that you um, consider this part of your career to be studying and um, and increasing your knowledge in these different areas by great books that are available. Um, also on the site is a Twitter database that has over 900 TV writers. I urge you to make use of this database. If you're not on Twitter yet, what a great reason to get on Twitter. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter, at Gray Jones is my handle. And if you want to fo follow Brandy Rivers on Twitter, our interviewee for today, you can follow her at Brandy Rivers 8. Speaking about Brandy Rivers, Brandy Rivers is currently a literary manager and producer working in both film and television at Magnet Management. In that capacity, she's responsible for representing authors, screenwriters, and directors, as well as developing underlying material, including novels, articles, blogs, video games, and life rights for production. Among her many clients, she currently represents Dave Leese from The Left Turn, set up at Lionsgate Films, Chris McKenna, who is a co-executive producer on Community, Craig Titley, who did Cheaper by the Dozen, and Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thief, 
Robin Harding, Chronicles of a Midlife Crisis in TV Development with Gary Flader at ABC Studios. Angela Nissel from Scrubs, TL Death, Broke Diaries in Development at Lionsgate. Mixed previously in development with uh, Haley Berry at HBO. And Myra McIntyre, um, Hourglass by Edgemont. Brandy is also a producer on the upcoming Lifetime pilot Dear Haley, based on the book Shattered Silence. Prior to becoming a manager, Brandy worked in development, most recently at Underground Films, a production management company whose credits include Remember Me, a film she helped oversee from development through post-production. Previously, she worked at Summit Entertainment, where she helped develop such projects as the Twilight franchise, Sex Drive, and Knowing. She began her career at Jerry Bruckheimer Television, where she worked on over 430 hours of primetime network television, including the CSI franchise, Without a Trace, Cold Case, E-Ring, and Close to Home, among many others. Brandy is a proud graduate of the University of North Carolina, where she received a BA in psychology and played Division I soccer. You're going to love the interview with Brandy Rivers. Enjoy. This is Gray, and I'm here with manager Brandy Rivers. How are you doing, Brandy? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thanks. And this is a real treat because this is the first time we've ever had a manager on the podcast. And I know a lot of people have questions about management. Actually, that's one of the first questions that people have when they want to break into the industry. Um, we're going to, we're going to get to talking about management in particular about halfway through. Um, but for right now, I want to hear more about your career path. First of all, just, you know, where you grew up and when you realized you wanted to be a part of the industry and how that happened. I grew up in North Carolina and went to college there, played soccer in college. And after graduation, I moved out here to surf and snowboard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then once I, you know, ran out of money, I said, well, what am I going to do? And there, you know, you film and television. So I got my first job working for Jerry Bruckheimer Television. Wow. How how did that happen? You know, I think it was just cosmic. I have no idea. I Mm -hmm. was interviewing for the head to work for the head of production on the film side. And he thought that it was awesome that I had moved out to Los Angeles to surf and snowboard and (laughs) and he said to me that you know once he got down the path with you know who he's gonna hire he said to me it just feels like you're too ambitious to work for me i really need a personal assistant but my colleague um jonathan Littman, who was then and is now running television is looking for someone you should go and meet with him and I went in, I met with him and got the job. Wow. And, you know, and that was, that was all she wrote. Mm-hmm. And so while there, you, you worked on CSI franchise without a trace, cold case, I mean, a whole pile of stuff. But, but tell me a little bit more about what your duties were there. I would say for the most part, it was a lot of grunt work. Um, it was answering phones, doing scheduling, helping with, you know, setting travel, but then there was also on the creative side, and this is where I learned the business. I was reading a lot of the scripts. I was, you know, helping with what's called staffing, which is putting television writers in the room to, you know, staff the show. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, giving notes on episodes and cuts and all that kind of stuff. 
Very cool. And and so after that, did you go directly from Bruckheimer to underground or, or what happened in between? No. When I left Bruckheimer, I went to Summit Entertainment, which is oh, okay. yeah. um, in the news a lot lately. For Twilight. And they just merged with Lionsgate. Yeah. Yeah. So and so what did you do there? More development? More development. Mm-hmm. Um, learning the movie side, kind of the same job, a lot of reading, a lot of reading, giving notes, watching dailies, watching cuts. You know, I would say about 75% of the film business is talking mm-hmm. on the telephone. Yeah. <laughs> um, so a lot of that too. <laughs> mm-hmm. And, and then from there you went to underground. And then from there I went to underground. Oh, okay. We were, when I was at summit, we were working on a movie called remember me. Mm-hmm. With Robert Pattinson and Emily DeRaven. And that's how I got to know Nick and Trevor, who are the principals at Underground. Mm-hmm. And so now Underground is a, is a production management company. So was that where you got the idea to get involved in management? Well, I had, when I reached out to Nick and Trevor at Underground, I really wanted to find a way to be able to combine my experience working in television with my experience working in features. Because I find that television is much more a business mm-hmm. and much more easier to, to sort of navigate the way it works. Because a lot of times you don't have control over what happens with the movie. It could be, mm. it, you know, an executive head executive at Fox walked into the room and said, hey, I want to make a movie about kids who have superpowers playing pranks on people. And then all of a sudden they're like, Oh, let's green light Chronicle. You know, that's <laughs> sort of, <laughs> you know, like that's sort of how that, that process works. Whereas mm-hmm. television is, you know, it's on a cycle. You sell at a certain time of year, you write at a certain time of year, you shoot your pilot at a certain time of the year, it's picked up at a certain time of the year. And even if you're not on the network cycle and you're on the cable cycle, the cable cycle still has that same cycle, although it's not always lined up perfectly with the network cycle. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, uh, and so, um, how, I mean, tell me, first of all, how, how does one become a manager? You know, I, <laughs> I think a lot of people in the industry would say you just have to sign clients, mm-hmm. uh, and get them work because, you know, part of the job of a manager when you're signing is being able to point to something you've done, being able to point to something, someone you've put on staff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, that's what makes people feel like, oh, if she did it for this person, then she should be able to do it for me. Right. Mm. So, you know, when I went to underground, they had some television clients, but they didn't have a lot. Um, we started putting people on staff and it started making things a little bit easier, you know? And I also, at the same time, was working on production of Remember Me. Remember Me was the 9-11 movie that the guy from Twilight, Robert Pattinson, starred in. Oh, okay, okay, great. And uh, and so, where did you go from there? And from there, I left and went to Magnet Management, and I've been there ever since. That's mm-hmm. where I am now. And you've been involved since then on, on some pretty cool stuff. I mean... Cheaper by the Dozen, Percy Jackson, Community is uh, actually one of the executive producers from Community is one of your clients. Um, mm-hmm. So tell me a bit about about the work there um, from start from the start and bring us up to the present. 
I guess the best way to start is to explain to you sort of like what the business model of what I what I as an individual does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because of my background in both film and television, I work a lot with clients who want to transition or want to write for both film and television. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, if it's a younger client, you kind of have to focus on one to start with and build that out and then you can transition. But I also work with a lot of clients who started in TV and now want to do features or started in features and now want to transition over into into television. Mm-hmm. And I also do a lot of book to film and television. Oh, okay. And and do you also manage strictly book clients? Yes. I have some clients that are just authors. Mm-hmm. I have some author clients who you know, or writing features now. I have some author clients who are now writing TV. So it just depends on what their needs are. Hmm. Cool. Well, okay. So, so now I guess what we have to do is we have to define management and define it perhaps in comparison with, with, uh, an agent and explain it, uh, for, for somebody who might not know these, these terms or, or quite understand them. So basically, the basic role of a manager is to help build careers. Your agent typically will have an agent at, you know, WME could have anywhere from 50 to 150 clients. Mm -hmm. With that list, I mean, I think 150 might be a little too generous. But with that list, a lot of times they're sharing clients with other agents. They're developing their own clients that they want to grow into showrunners. They're also outside of their clients um, doing what's called coverage. Mm-hmm. And that means that they're covering the different networks and studios for open jobs and television specifically. It's all about like what staffing positions are open, what level, what type of person they're looking for, um, that sort of stuff. So agents, unfortunately, have grown to a place where they don't have as much time to help a client get their material to a good place and where it's strong because right now you have to have strong material to go on staff of a show. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily, because they're so specialized, if you want to write for features, they can send you down the hall to the feature department, but that doesn't necessarily mean the feature department's going to be helpful mm. because they don't know you, they didn't sign you, um, they don't have the same vested in interest in as the the television person who signed you. And I, I've I've heard it said, and I, I know this is um, perhaps somewhat of an exaggeration, but that the the agent's role is to negotiate the deal, and that they're really not that interested you, in you until you're ready to make the deal. I wouldn't go that far. Mm-hmm. I yes, they do negotiate deals, but I would say, I mean, defined by law, the manager is to help you and advise you Hmm. and the agent's job is to get you a job and negotiate your contract. Mm -hmm. But that's not really how it works because obviously agents, I mean, managers are on the phone talking to studio and network executives and hearing about jobs and putting you up for jobs at the same time. So that line is very blurred. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you, you can have the agency and the manager looking for a job. But what I would say is that as far as agents wanting to sign you after there's a deal, 
Yes, that oftentimes happens because it's so hard to launch careers, especially in television, Mm. that a lot of agents won't sign people officially until they actually have their first job. Mm -hmm. And uh, so you mentioned that an agent might have 100 clients. And by comparison, I'm, I'm assuming that a manager has far fewer clients. Yes, I would say as a company, we have about 80 clients and there are seven managers at my company. Mm-hmm. So on average, about a dozen. So you're able to give a lot more personal time to, to each person that you represent. Yes. But also, you know, we work on teams with people. So it's, it works similar at my particular company. Not every management company is this way, but we work on teams. So I may be working with, you know, 25 clients at any given time, mm-hmm. but I, you know, I'm working on them, my colleagues working on them, you know, everybody internally is helping with all 25 of those people. So we're, you know, splitting the workload or we're all we're all getting together and reading the material and sort of all coming in to kind of figure out how to make it the best piece of material that we can. Mm -hmm. And now, correct me if I'm wrong, but you could theoretically have a manager and an entertainment lawyer and not even have an agent. Yes. Absolutely. So, because if you're finding people work and then all, all that's left is the deal, uh, an entertainment lawyer, lawyer can be the one to, to negotiate the deal. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an agent, but I'm saying a lot. And the reason I, I'm pursuing this angle is because there are a lot of people trying to break into the industry and they fret and fret and fret because they can't get any agent to pay them attention. Where meanwhile, there are some very viable alternate routes that they could take. And by the time they get to that point where they're negotiating the deal, I'm sure there's going to be agents saying, okay, I'm ready to pay you attention now. Exactly. Yes, you can absolutely. I mean, I have a lot of clients. I would say my younger clients, and when I say younger, that doesn't necessarily mean an age. It means an experience. Mm -hmm. Um, My younger clients oftentimes will only have uh, me and and a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And my very well-established clients will sometimes only have me and a lawyer. But the way it works in television when it comes to um, commissioning, Mm -hmm. let's say you're my client and I put you on a show that is packaged by WME. Mm. And WME is not going to commission you. They're going to take what's called a package fee. Yeah. And so the network is going to pay them a package fee. So then you'll still only be paying out 15%. Mm-hmm. And it's becoming more and more that if you're at one agency or another, typically you're going to go on to one of their packages. Mm-hmm. Unless you're at one of the smaller and the smaller agencies feed to all the shows. Yeah. And well, so let's let's go into that a little bit. Uh, an agent is by law only allowed to charge a set percentage, 10 percent mm-hmm. um, of the actual deals that that happen. Um how what what's a pay structure like for for management? Well, what does it cost for somebody to to entertain your services? Um, ten percent. It's the same as an agency. Okay, and so you uh, you said that that could be bundled to fifteen percent in certain cases. Well, how would how does that work? It would be fifteen percent if you had me and a lawyer. Lawyers charge five percent. I see. I see. Okay, and so let's talk a little bit about how somebody would find you and what you would be looking for in a new person to represent? I would say the number one thing that I always look for in clients is I want clients who are driven to work. 
Mm-hmm. So often you sign people who show great promise and you're like, oh, this person's going to be a superstar. And then all of a sudden life happens, which every, which is understandable. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden they're not writing as much anymore or they're not, they're not putting out enough material. And I would say the one and most important thing in any writer's career mm-hmm. is to keep writing. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I know that sounds very, very um, obvious, mm-hmm. but it's, it, that's not the way it works. So a lot of times writers are like, oh, I wrote these three samples. Now go put me on a show. Mm. But the unfortunate thing is, is if I send it out to the entire town and the entire town's read those three pieces of material next cycle when we're trying to get you on a show or let's say you were you know on defenders which got canceled last year and now we have to put you on a new show and all those people read that piece of material that you wrote last year 75 percent of them are going to want to read something new Hmm. and when you don't have something new they automatically assume you're not serious Hmm. And that goes from people who are staff writer level all the way up to people who are executive producer level. Yeah. And and so it's it said that when people are approaching an agent that they should have a couple of specs and a couple of pilots ready to go before they even walk in the door. But for for you, you are developing people's careers. So what what would you say say somebody who's just breaking in what would you expect that they might have to even get you, you to pay attention to them? I would still need to see at least probably two pieces of original material. That can be a movie. It can be pilots. It can be a pilot and a short story. You know, it could be, I mean, typically if someone gives me a book, unless it's someone that I'm already working with, Mm -hmm. it's hard to tell if you're going to be able to write a feature or write a screenplay. Mm -hmm. But sometimes I'll take a chance with someone who's written a book and sends me a book and I'm like, oh, you're a really good writer. I can kind of help you with that. Mm -hmm. I can help you transition into film and television. But, you know, I am developing, but the reality is if I don't see material that tells me that I can develop you as a writer or I know how to sell you as a writer, which is far more important Mm. than whether or not I can develop you because, you know, any writer with drive and talent will get there eventually. Um, You know, for me, I got to have to see the material to know, Oh, you know, here's the places I work with all the time. You can fit on one of these places, Mm. you know, that's, I would say the most important thing I think about when I read new clients material. Hmm. And so say, say you meet with somebody, you read the material, you like the material, you decide to go ahead. What's the next step for somebody like that? It differs for every person. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes the next step is, Hey, you know, I see talent in your material, but the two things that people write about the most that, um, that I would say are pet peeves of everyone in the industry. Uh-huh. Everyone, especially comedy writers, want to write about inside of Hollywood and pornography. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, and I know that sounds crazy, but so many people are like, oh, let's write about how, you know, crazy it would be to work in that world. Hmm. Those are two things that no one wants to see. Uh-huh. So let's say you wrote a piece of material like an entourage spec. 
or well, you can write an entourage spec, but like a spec, an original spec that's set inside of Hollywood. And I can see that you're very talented by the way you've written it, but I can't send that to people because everyone's going to be like, why did you send me something inside of Hollywood? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because that's just one of the, you know, that's a sort of internal industry pet peeve. Mm -hmm. So I might say to you, Hey, let's go and develop a new idea. And what I would start with is have you pitch me new ideas. We figure out which one will be the best, hopefully with an eye to take out as a piece of development. Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes, you know, I had one young writer I signed who had two wonderful scripts that I wanted to be pieces of development that I needed him to then go and write something that we could use as a staffing sample this year. Hmm. So I think it changes. I think it's different for everyone. You know, it's very rare that I sign a client and they, you know, come to me and they have the material and it's just time to go and get staffed because hmm. the staffing process and the development process is so specific hmm. that a lot of people, you know, don't really understand what that is until they come and work with someone who is selling to networks and studios every day. Hmm. And uh, now th this question has a usually a fairly obvious answer, but I think it begs asking anyway. Somebody's in Topeka. Mm -hmm. At what point do they need to move to L.A.? I personally, my opinion on that is if you're serious about working in the entertainment business and you live in Topeka, you need to move immediately. <laughs> um, I know that is, I know that's a lot for some people. You know, you, you think about it, it's very daunting, this idea of, oh, I'm just going to pick up my whole life and, you know, move to a city I may not have even ever been to. Mm -hmm. But if you want to work in television, the only place you can work in television is in LA. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, New York has some television. You know, if you, Tyler Perry does his shows out of Atlanta. Um, but that's one show. Mm -hmm. um, Teen Wolf shoots out of Atlanta, but the writer's room really kind of runs itself in L.A. Mm -hmm. So even when television shows are shooting in Toronto or in Vancouver or wherever, the writer's rooms are typically in L.A. Mm -hmm. But if you want to write features, it's a different story. You can write features from anywhere, though it gets pretty complicated once you've established yourself in features, because once you've established yourself, you may go up for a job and they may say, hey, can you be here in three hours? <laughs> it's hard to get to Warner Brothers in three hours from Topeka. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So so you've uh, you've got a client now and you're developing with them. You um, what what happens if it takes a, a year or a year and a half? And uh, and they're not getting staffed. I would say if they're still writing and they're still generating content mm -hmm. and they're still hungry, then I keep working with them. Mm -hmm. You know, if a year or a year and a half goes by and they're calling me every week saying, why don't I have a job? And <laughs> they haven't given me a new piece of material, then, you know, there's nothing else I can do for them. Hmm. You know, once you've sent the material out and they haven't gotten a job, then you haven't gotten a job. But if I send your material out and 
you are building fans and, you know, you have fans at NBC, you have fans at CBS, you have fans at Fox, and then you give me a new piece of material to put in those people in those fans' hands. Then all of a sudden, you know, that's when things happen. Hmm. Thing, people in the industry want to see people doing it over and over and over again because they want to trust that they can do it again. Hmm. And you you develop careers too, like like say for instance, you do represent Chris McKenna, who's co executive producer on Community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for somebody who has been in the industry for a while, what what are you doing for those clients? With Chris, let's say the one thing that I work most with him on is working on his feature stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a very stable, very big television career. Mm-hmm. He, you know, wants to write in features. He has really great ideas for features. And when he has time, which isn't very often, because when you're on a TV show, unfortunately, you don't have a lot of time is not something you have a lot of. Mm-hmm. Um, but when he has time, we work on his feature stuff. We work on his feature ideas and um, that sort of stuff. And if he wanted to write a book, I would help him figure out, you know, what it should be and get it in the right hands for mm-hmm. that type of stuff. And uh, and so one a huge advantage that you have is that you're you're plugged in. Um, you've I mean with with eighty people that you guys are representing at at Magnet, you you're getting an idea a feel for for what's selling where and what kind of material is working and and what isn't. Um, and so what kind of what kind of steering might you do? Say say for instance a, a person walks in and all they've got is spec scripts of of science fiction stuff um, that's not necessarily on everybody's radar. Uh, what would you suggest to a person like that? Look, there there is a market for science fiction. I mean, there's the Sci-Fi Network. You have shows like Terra Nova, you know, on the air. I mean, who knows if it's going to come back or not? Mm-hmm. But you know, shows like that get made every year. Fringe. You know, there are there are shows that are getting made and those shows do need staff. If you want to write just science fiction for television, the window of opportunity is much smaller. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I always tell my clients all the time. I always joke with them. The more things you want to write and the more shows that you're open to being on, the more opportunities there are. So if a client comes to me and says, I absolutely don't want to be on a procedural that's fine. I, I'm okay with that. But that's 60% of television, <laughs> scripted television. You yeah. know what I mean? So when you say that to me, you're automatically, immediately taking yourself out of the running for 60% of the job. Yeah. Well, and, and just using that sci-fi example, take a show like Warehouse 13. Warehouse 13 is really a procedural with a sci-fi angle. Exactly. <laughs> Um, well, well, so let's, let's talk maybe a little bit about right now, 2012, uh, what January, um, late January, what should people be specking right now? You know, last year I find every staffing season, it changes. People want to read different material every year. The trend over the past couple years has been more and more original material. Mm-hmm. Some showrunners want to read a spec of a show. So I would say in order to go up to actually go up for staffing and actually have enough material to go up for staffing, Mm -hmm. you need two original pieces of material and 
they should not be the same at all. Like, mm. for instance, I work with two very young clients who are incredibly talented and they're comedy writers. They have one script that is, you know, a workplace comedy, of, you know, a 30 Rock, an office, not those particular shows but tonally in line with those particular shows. Mm -hmm. And then they have a really wacky, but really hilarious and cool half hour that is, you know, I would say in line with like a family guy. Mm -hmm. And then they have a speck of modern family. So, you know, obviously I'm going to use their, you know, workplace comedy that's an original and their modern family to try to put them on 30 Rock and The Office and even Modern Family and all of the network shows. And I can use their family guy type comedy to put them up for the smaller obscure shows like, you know, an Archer mm -hmm. or Family Guy even or um, American Dad or, you know, any of the adult swim shows or do you see what I'm saying? So. Mm -hmm. The, the more you have the different, you, the, the more jobs you can go up for. Yeah. And, but at the same time, you don't want somebody with a CSI spec going for community. Right. Exactly. If you want to write dramas, you have to write dramas. Mm -hmm. And and taking dramas, what, what, are the, what are the hot dramas to spec right now? You know, that's like the crystal ball question. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> because that changes every year. You know, I would say... A lot of people are reading a lot of Good Wives, mm -hmm. so I would stay away from that show. Yeah, because you don't want to be the twentieth Good Wife that somebody's read. <laughs> um, I would say, you know, me Mentalist is overspecked a lot. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe a fun castle would be cool, or um, Bones maybe would be a good one. Bones is a little old, so I would be a little hesitant to say Bones because. Once the show goes off the air, then all of a sudden your spec isn't doesn't quite mean as much as it did while the show was on the air. Mm -hmm. Well, and that, and that seems to be what happens that by the time a show when a show is um, strong in the second season, it becomes popular. By the time it hits its third or fourth season, there are so many specs on the market for that show that it that it mm -hmm. becomes hard to uh, to write one of them. But at the same time, you don't want to. Uh, write for something that's doing really well in its season one and then it gets canceled. Right. Well, what I can tell you is, you know, the thing that speaks the loudest in this business and will always speak the loudest is good writing always wins. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I had, um, when I was at underground, a colleague of mine who was not in television at the time had two clients who wanted to write for television and they came in and they sat down with me and they said, we're going to write a small wonder spec. <laughs> uh huh. And I stared at them and I was like, that's absurd. And I said, that's a terrible idea. Don't do that. Uh huh. And, um, three weeks later, they called me and they're like, we're ready for you to read our small wonder spec. <laughs> and I read it and I thought to myself, this is just absurd enough to actually work. <laughs> and I sent it out and uh -huh. you know, they ended up going on to Robot Chicken. Uh huh. They were nominated for an Emmy for an episode that they wrote on Robot Chicken. And, you know, now they're really, you know, they're fancy. They're on happy endings and, you know, they're, they're doing really well for themselves. 
So, you know, sometimes thinking way outside of the box is more interesting than just writing a CSI spec. Yeah. Well, now that is the exception to the rule. <laughs> yes, that is. I would say that is the exception to the rule. But, but you know, if if you have a good way of doing it, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the day, what you want is attention. Yeah. You know what I mean? So especially in the comedy world, in drama, a little less so. In drama, you know, drama takes itself a little more seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the drama world... You, you may not want to think about doing something crazy like that, but in the comedy world, I would say, you know, if I call an NBC exec and say, hey, I'm going to send you over a small wonder spec, they're like, huh? That's kind of crazy and weird and hilarious, and I need to read that. Hmm. You know, it's attention grabbing. Now, um, in terms of an original pilot, I've heard it said. Um, well, I've heard both things said, but it seems like the prevailing attitude is that if you write an original pilot, it's highly unlikely that it would actually go to production. I, I'm talking about somebody who who's an unknown writer. Selling a television spec, unless you're Aaron Sorkin, is really hard. Mm-hmm. It is not impossible. Getting a spec that you sold made into a pilot is probably even harder. Mm-hmm. But it is not impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, I mean, we have a client at our company who wrote a spec of a show and, you know, we just sold it to the sci-fi network. I mean, he he has credits and he has worked on a staff before, Mm -hmm. but he's not executive producer level. He's a mid-level writer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we sold his spec pilot. So that doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just not easy. Yeah. And, you know, just to go a step further, you know, getting a pilot made is a miracle no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, obviously that's everyone's goal. But as long as you keep it's it's sort of like what I said earlier, as long as you keep working towards that goal, eventually it'll happen for you. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's all about persistence. Yeah. And for from your perspective, if somebody's got an original pilot, what what or somebody wants to write one, what do you think is ideal for uh for an original pilot that you can take to somebody and get them on staff? Um it w- would depend on what their goal is. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if your goal is to get on a legal drama, I would say you should write legal drama (laughs) (laughs) a lot of people in television come to me with past experiences like i have spoken to this guy who used to be in the cia Mm -hmm. like that's a guy who you know should write something that can get him on homeland or can get him on one of these shows where that past experience can come in handy Mm. you know a lot of times when you know like the good wife i called them earlier this year They needed a mid-level person. They wanted a mid-level person um, who was a lawyer. Mm. You know what I mean? So those types of things also help in the staffing process. So if you are a lawyer, you should write to your skill set. Because if you write a legal drama and I go to try to put you on the good wife and I say, here's a script. The script is amazing. And he's a lawyer. All of a sudden, their ears perk up, and they're like, oh, okay, that's interesting. We'll take a look right away. Hmm. Um, If you were a cop, the same thing. 
if you, you know, were an astronaut, sci-fi. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, if you're an astronaut, I doubt you want to write for television. Yeah. <laughs> cool. So, um, let, let's go then. Um, and, and I think we've covered just about anything, unless there's anything that you, you want to add about the, the management process. I was going to segue into talking about just pure breaking in tips or um, starting out tips, I guess you might want to call them. Say so, somebody heard this podcast and they're in Topeka and they said, okay, I'm finally going to do it. I'm going to move to LA. So what what's their next step? Um, I would say the best the best first step I would say even before moving to LA Mm -hmm. is have your material. Yeah. Have a couple of pieces of material. People, especially representatives want to know the first thing every rep is going to ask when they read your material and they find it amazing is can I sell it or can I build a career for this person? Mm -hmm. Those are the, those are the hands down the two questions. If you're talking about television, as I said earlier, and as you asked earlier, um, selling a television pilot is not super easy. Mm. So typically that's not going to be, you know, the first question a television rep is going to ask. So what they're going to ask is, can I build a career for this person? Mm. So my next question for them may be, what else do you have? And if they don't have anything, it's hard for me it's hard to get someone a job off one piece of material. Mm-hmm. It's hard to go to Warner brothers and say, Hey, can you pay my client a hundred thousand dollars? He's only written this one script. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it, but it's easier to go to them and be like, Hey, can you pay my client a hundred thousand dollars? And he's written these three scripts. Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden it's, it's, it's a different situation. Do you see what I'm saying? So, yeah. Before you come to LA, it's expensive to live in LA, write your material and then move to LA and start meeting people, go places. If you want to write comedy, go to stand up shows, meet stand up comedians who are aspiring comedians. If you're at a coffee shop and you see someone writing, meet people. Hmm. The, the best and most efficient way to get a job in the business is to know someone. Hmm. And that's on every single level. I see it. Every single day, people who I have, I know I have friends who are writers who don't have anything but a lawyer because they know so many other writers that they can get themselves jobs. Hmm. So knowing people is the most important thing. So once you move here, don't just kind of sit at home and wait for it to happen. Go out, meet people, get to know people, do meet up, you know, go to coffee shops. Talk to people who are obviously writers, have conversations with people, ask people, because what that's going to happen, what that's going to bring to you is you're going to meet, you know, Joe Schmo writer who, you know, may have worked on whatever show and may say, oh, I'm so bummed. I wanted to get that job on The Good Wife and I didn't because I really want a woman. And then you're a woman, you're a female <laughs> writer, and you're like, oh, there's a job there. Okay, now how do I go and try to put myself up for it? You know, hmm. you need you need a rep. No one's going to read your material unless you have representation. But y- you, you're getting something. If you already have a rep, then you can call your rep. Hey, I just heard, you know, some so-and-so Joe Schmo at the Starbucks told me that the good wife's looking for a female staff writer. Hmm. And, you know, ho- hopefully your rep will, will have already known that. But 
If they don't, then they can then call the good wife and put you up for that show. Hmm. Well, that is great advice. And I think that's a great place to end up. Um, and so now I know that you're on Twitter and remind me, remind me of your Twitter address. It's just Brandy Rivers 8. Brandy Rivers 8. And, yep. uh, and so people can definitely follow you on Twitter. And now say they have some materials. They've got one or two specs, one or two spec pilots, and they, they're ready to move to, from Topeka to LA. Um, how would they contact Magnet Management if they were interested in, in some management? We have a website. Mm-hmm. Um, magnetmanagement.com and um, you can just email your log lines and we'll look at them there or if they want to query me directly mm-hmm. um, my email address is brandy with a y at magnetmanagement.com wonderful well I appreciate you sharing all this wisdom about management and about all that you do and uh, thank you because thank you. Uh, it's a it's a great thing that you're doing helping to develop people's careers oh well thank you it is truly my pleasure cool okay well uh, best of luck to you and i hope you have a great year thank you okay bye-bye bye-bye hosted by gray jones the tv writer podcast is brought to you by script magazine and scriptmag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web